This episode is sponsored by Echo. Hear clearly, care confidently. Learn more at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O health.com. And use code JSP for $50 off any stethoscope. Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week of true crime stories, nursing stories, mostly true crime. Let's be real. So this week is so special for several reasons. Number one, I have some of my absolute all-time favorite podcasters, favorite nurse practitioners, just favorite people in general. Tom and Ben from the Will Continue to Monitor podcast. Hey, guys. Hello, ma'am. Hey, happy to be here. I'm really excited to have you guys here because I've had a lot going on the past couple of months, as you guys probably are aware. We've had this huge creator con thing in Austin, Texas. And at some point while I'm planning all this stuff and still we're trying to record the podcast and trying to get my, ma- <laughs> my master's degree and trying to work full time at the bedside, we just surpassed 2 million downloads. I couldn't even, I, it just happened and I was like, how did I miss this? How do we blow right past this and not celebrate it? I'm so excited about it. And so I thought, hey, the coolest thing is happening right now. Number one, one of the stories that's probably the biggest, let's say, bad nurse story out there that I covered very early on in my podcast when the sound quality was absolutely atrocious, so bad that we've since like ripped them all off so you can't even hear them. They're on our Patreon for our poor list Patreon subscribers. If you just absolutely really want to hear it, it's so bad. But this story really needs to be told. It is, oh God, it's disturbing. Let's just say that. There are a lot of trigger warnings in this story, but they are making a movie about the most prolific, I mean, arguably the most prolific serial killer in the United States. Would you say? Would you guys agree with that? He would definitely be in in the top couple. I mean, if you're talking about just numbers, but I mean, as far as anybody Mm -hmm. involved in the medical field, I think he's by far number one, at least in the U.S. healthcare. Oh, and in healthcare, definitely surpasses everyone. So if you guys haven't figured it out yet, we're talking about Charles Cullen. And there was a book written about Charles Cullen many years ago called The Good Nurse. And what's really, really interesting is that me and my naive person, you know, just the way I am, had no idea what I was doing when I came up with the name Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. But I remember how excited I was. Like, oh my gosh, Good Nurse, Bad Like, I just knew. And that's how when I'm creating something or trying to, you know, use my mind to try to figure out, you know, what to call something or whatever. When the actual, like, thing happens or I write, I have a whole list. But when I finally come to the one that I 
it's like obvious, like, oh my God, this is it. This has got to be it right here. So I remember how excited I was when I figured it out. Well, then I start recording episodes of the podcast and releasing it. And it did really well, relatively quickly. And I didn't understand anything to do with podcasting, but it definitely started getting some download, like a lot of downloads. Well, I don't know for sure, but I do suspect that it probably had something to do with the fact that Good Nurse in my, you know, in the name of the podcast had, was the same title of this book. That's a very popular novel written by Charles Graber about Charles Cullen, who we're going to be talking about. So, I mean, I just, I feel like it's very likely that helped. So you basically accidentally and on purpose have linked your podcast to serial killers. <laughs> I'm just saying. Like, Apparently. Yeah, there you go. Okay. That's not a bad thing. I'm just saying, yeah, I think it's I, hilarious. I she both did it on purpose and accidentally. She just I thoroughly. I think it's ironic that the good nurse portion, which is supposed is actually to be the in my nurse. podcast, it's supposed to be... F- it's actually the bad nurse, yeah. and that's yeah. It's very yeah. <laughs> that'll just blow your mind. But five years, four, four and a half years later, <laughs> I know. Like I can't even. I'll sit here just getting totally perplexed. <laughs> but it's like a puzzle. But no, I mean, four and a half years later, that was in 2018, in May of 2018, and now it's what almost October in 2022. We've definitely <laughs> been through a lot. I've continued to work at the bedside this whole time. This has definitely grown into something I never would have anticipated because of the people who continue to come back and listen. Because I mean, it's one thing if you find it because of the name Good Nurse. It's another thing that you guys are actually listening and obviously coming back because it's you're there, you know, the downloads are there every week. And I appreciate you guys so much for listening to my podcast and supporting me the way that you do reaching out to me, sending me emails, Follow me on social media, coming to CreatorCon. I was so incredibly just thrilled and just flattered and really excited to get to meet some of you. I, it just, it was so surreal. Such that didn't even feel like a, it just, I can't even describe to you how exciting it was. And I appreciate you guys so much. So we wanted to bring you something kind of special. And this Netflix has made this into a movie and not just any movie. They have two Academy Award winning actors who are playing the two main roles in this movie. So what Tom and Ben and I are going to do is we're going to divide this into two parts because the story is very involved. There's lots of details. And what we figure we can do is we can kind of tell you the first part of the story, get really, you know, into the story. And then we'll watch the movie. We're gonna, the movie actually comes out on Netflix on October the 26th. It's going to be in select theaters, I think, before that. But I, I, I kind of am a Netflix and chill kind of girl. So we're going to have a watch party and watch it on Netflix. So if you guys are interested and you want to watch the Netflix um, movie with us, we're going to watch it with any anyone that's interested, any of our followers or listeners. So if you're interested in that, you should follow us on Instagram or any social media. We will be posting on our social media sites between now and October 26th to let you know exactly how you can join us with the watch party. It's going to be so much fun. I feel like it's going to be really interesting. We'll be chatting. We'll chat before, during, and after. We'll probably do a little Zoom call or something with all of us together before 
and maybe just chat without video during. So obviously we don't want to be talking during the movie. You don't want to do that. And and we'll and we'll meet up again afterwards. And then Tom and Ben and I will release the second half of the episode and also talk about the movie after after we get to watch it. So that's your special gift from us to celebrate the $2 million downloads. I hope that it's special. I feel like it's special. I'm excited to get to, to do this and talk about this very fascinating and disturbing story that we can definitely learn a lot about. It's definitely an interesting story. Even if you don't know anything, obviously the number 2 million is very large and Miss Tina, if nothing else should be proud and happy about that. But Ben and I are in podcasting, as are some of the people listening to this, and we understand just how monumental 2 million downloads is. So do not let her be too humble about this. Please reach out to her and make sure she understands how important 2 million downloads are. So now that I've said that, because the day we get 2 million downloads that we'll continue to monitor, well, I will have been in a grave, I'm sure. So that's how long it's going to take other podcasts. So it really is a huge deal. And she does obviously have great listeners. So please reach out to her and tell her how great she is. She deserves it. So now we could tell the rest of this both awesome and terrible story. So. Yes. And I will say if you guys, the reason that, well, I love Tom and Ben, even you know before when they were doing just some podcasts, but look, We'll continue to monitor a relatively new podcast. They just started a few months ago. It is going to be a hit. I love it. It is a fascinating podcast. You guys are going to love it. You have to go right now. What? Stop what you're doing and go follow. <laughs> we'll continue to monitor. I'm telling you. I'm well, telling you. I don't do wrong. that very often, but it. She's this not- is a good podcast. I'm telling you. If you like the weird, the you know, this the it's literally the perfect mix of like weird, creepy stuff and medical stuff. Like, how can you get any better than that? Yeah, we do like a super weird and creepy. That is kind of our genre <laughs> that we have fallen yeah, into. We do. Is. We try and cover everything though. The weird and creepy is anything weird and creepy. We will try and find it. So we we do enjoy it. And again, honestly, Miss Tina had her hand thoroughly in the mix on kind of saying, hey, you two are morons. You should do this podcast. And so we did. So so even our podcast kind of sprung off from Miss Tina kind of prodding us along. So, again, big thanks to her for we'll continue to monitor. But, yes, you should absolutely stop whatever you're doing and listen to our show. It would be imperative to everything good that you do that. So. That's what I think anyways. <laughs> All things good. Yes. If it's good, it's because you're listening to our show. That's obviously what happened. Well, I guess we can get into this story. Oh, man. Oh, this is, wow. So many details, and I don't want to leave any of them out. This story has so many things that we can learn as healthcare professionals that I can learn as a bed, a bedside nurse. Any of us can learn as coworkers to other people who potentially, I mean, come on, let's be real here, could potentially be someone like Charles Cullen. Now, most nurses, I say, I've said this a million times, the vast majority of people who go into the healthcare field are wonderful, caring people who sacrifice themselves to help other people. But occasionally, these there are people who fall through the cracks, who somehow end up in these professions, taking care of the most vulnerable in our community. And 
we have to be on the lookout for these people. We have to know what to look for. And I think that by talking about this stuff, it can help us to understand, I guess, what to look for, but also how to handle the situations. Because a lot of mistakes were made in this, a lot of mistakes. There is no excuse for so many of the deaths that happened in this story. I think even if you can't apply directly what he did, I think the second point you made would be the important one is if you think something's wrong, maybe how that could have been better handled by both the hospital, his coworkers, everybody involved really could have stepped in before this happened. And that to me is the biggest tragedy. But if anybody's ever thought maybe something's wrong, maybe I should say something, hopefully after hearing this story, they will. You know, because even if it's an accusation and it's proven unfounded, you still should say something. And I think this, like I said, this is a great story to really illuminate the second part of what you said. Coworkers really should say stuff. So when it comes right down to it, you know, we're all we are there. If you're there working in a hospital on a unit you are you should be looking at yourself like you're there for every patient that's on the floor not just yours um think about that you know if i consider myself there for all of the patients i'm if i see someone if someone's doing something you know wonky on their telemetry i'm going to look and be like hey is their heart rate been in the 150s all day i may even pull up their telemetry and go back and be like actually it's not and then i'll say something to the nurse hey heart rates like in the 150s and I don't see where they were. Hey, they were in AFib and they weren't like own that you I in this day and age, we don't we're given so much to carry on our shoulders. I think a lot of times we just feel like I can't handle anymore. I can barely take care of the patients that I have. But these are human lives that we're talking about at the end of the day. And if we take the responsibility for taking care of them, we have to we do have to own that and do the absolute very best we can to advocate for all the people that, that we possibly can. So I guess we can get started with this story. This is the story of Charles Cullen. As we said earlier, he was born on February 22nd in 1960. He was born into a working class Irish Catholic family in West Orange, New Jersey. He was the youngest of eight children and referred to himself. This is sad. This is so sad as a late life mistake. So, you know, sometimes this happens where a a family, you know, they've like had all these kids and their kids are kind of, you know, in their teens and and 20s and they've kind of raised their family, but they're not really past the reproductive age they maybe think they are. And then a surprise happens. So this is not that uncommon. And for whatever reason, Charles Cullen, he felt like, you know, I... They didn't want me. I was unwanted as opposed to a a pleasant surprise or, you know, make the most of it. Or, you know, he obviously felt like they didn't want him, which is which that is really sad. There was a huge age gap between him and his seven older siblings. They were mostly grown by the time he was born. And sadly, he was seven months old when his father, he was a bus driver. He died from having some different medical complications So he grew up without a father figure. His mother, Florence, struggled, of course, trying to keep the family afloat. He had a, his siblings struggled, you know, through, throughout their young adulthood, some with substance use disorders, you know, some was just struggling to make ends meet. So they would like 
move back into the house and just a difficult existence for him as a child because he was bullied as a child at school. He was bullied even by his older siblings. So he had a very, what he described as miserable childhood. The one thing I have always said, I do not believe that anyone has an excuse to hurt another person just because they were hurt. And I I realize that does happen, that hurting people hurt people. That is something that definitely happens, but it is not an excuse. You don't have the right to hurt someone else just because you were hurt. I did not have a good childhood. I had a very rough childhood. And I've talked about it before on my podcast with in previous stories. That does not give me the right to take that frustration or resentment or whatever it maybe caused me to feel out on society and other people. And so even though we can have maybe compassion on the child that was Charles Cullen when he's going through these things, and you might, I think people sometimes are tempted to be like, yeah, you can see where he would have become a serial killer because, you know, this happened. No, no, no. I'm so sorry, but that's, I don't, I'm not going to own that. You know, you, we are all 100% in control of our own fates and we decide what we do and how we treat other people. And he made a decision at some point to go down the wrong road. And I, I think it is one decision after another. And you can either choose to do good and try to look at the situation that you have and the way you're treated and try to treat others better because you don't want someone else to go through that. Or you can look at it like, well, nobody loves me, so I don't love anybody, you know. And unfortunately, that's the two decisions that it seems that are repetitively made is either I'm going to go out of my way and I'm going to be selfless, which is great, but then you're giving yourself away or I'm going to make everybody else feel punishment because I got punished. And again, I agree with you that ultimately we are responsible for our own actions. However, this kid's childhood is tragic. I mean, it is. And I don't, again, do not give the, him any excuse to do what the things he does. I'm not trying to do any spoilers here, but I mean, I think we know, you know, if anybody's even heard of this case, they know where this is going. What I think is important is to kind of say the things that happened to him. And I would hazard to guess that there's no way that this childhood did not impact and have that base. This is what created the monster that then went forward. The difference between him and some of the other people that if you ever look through serial killers or stuff like that is he is completely and cognitively aware of everything he's doing the entire time and repeatedly and premeditatedly, you know, going through and doing this stuff. And there's at no point he isn't. So while I do feel bad for, as you said, Charles Cullen, the child, it in no way goes forwards and translates into him being allowed to do the things he does. And I do 100% think that childhood has a direct impact on the things he does growing up. But certainly he understood what he was doing was wrong. So it, it is a tragedy literally from start to end at this story. Yeah. I mean, even that does his childhood tragedy doesn't even end there. I mean, when he was 17 years old in 1977, his mother died in a car accident. I mean, just one tragedy after another he had to face, you know, in his childhood. 
And that was a horrific thing that he went through, even the way that it played out. Just a oh, well, yeah, it was heartbreaking. With the it's oh yeah, God. yeah, yeah. So so I, f- I feel like that was maybe the one person in his life that he did feel like loved him and cared for him. Yeah, and then the way I would say I didn't want to talk about body or what happens with the body, like reading about. Because, like you said, this is probably the one person he felt a connection to. And so not only did she die, but then he couldn't say his last goodbye. That probably was a straw that broke some camel's back somewhere in his head. Yeah, because they did decide to cremate her without him even before he was even able to get to the hospital, which is... That seems He was 17 years old. I understand he was a... I know. I feel like... Yeah, that was an odd. Don't you, Ben? I mean, Ben. So Ben is a coroner. I mean, he has provides some coroner duties where he lives, and I feel like you could maybe give us a little bit of insight here because this seems really odd to me. No, I feel like it's extremely odd that because I mean we're talking about uh, what sounds like a very short amount of time because he ran to this hospital. So it's not like it was, yeah, literally. So it's not like it was days and weeks later. We're talking a matter of a few, I would say less than a few hours. And granted, I was not a coroner in 1977, so I can't speak for how things were handled then, but it just seems very odd that, well, she's, you know, passed away. So let's, let's go ahead and just cremate her now and not even tell the family from a legality standpoint, that is strange for any sort of investigation you know aspect that's an extremely weird thing i wonder if at some point there was honestly a simple mistake somewhere along the way maybe even in communication like they're like oh yeah we already told the family but they had not told the family and as sad as that is that does happen you know with other notifications and everything so i just wonder if there was some kind of accidental but heinous mistake that causes chain of events like because what Ben said is the first thing I thought is it couldn't have been half a day and they've already cremated a body like that is lightning speed for for a coroner to be involved in all this. I mean, I just I couldn't wrap my head around it. Well, and I can speak for at least in the county that I'm the coroner for, they cannot cremate a body without a signed coroner's permit. Now, again, I can't speak for the 70s, but (laughs) currently, if anybody's going to be cremated from the county, they have to have my signature saying, I have agreed that's okay to do. So that's what I'm saying is I have a feeling there's some... It sort of reeks a little bit of like a cover-up or something. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, that's the problem. If it's not an accident, then what other reason do they have to get rid of a body at that rate of speed? So, mm-hmm. I mean, I agree. Yeah. It's suspicious in every way. Was it an accident? Was it not? But something tragically bad happened for this poor kid to not even get to see his mother before she was cremated. Yeah, and it really affected him. I mean, it was he was devastated. He actually attempted suicide 
he this was the second time he had attempted suicide a few years before just from all of the bullying. Apparently, when he was younger, he was given like a little science kit, you know, that has like little chemicals you can put together and, and it causes, you know, a little explosion or whatever. And he tried mixing all that stuff together and drinking it, which just made him sick. But this time he, you know, very devastated and tried to take his own life. He was hospitalized, had to be put under psychiatric care, and pretty much wouldn't talk, I guess. He just kind of refused to say anything, and they eventually just released him. He dropped out of high school, decided to join the Navy, and I think he it sort of maybe understood that he felt like the Navy was the least aggressive, maybe, of the four branches of the military. He somehow was able to pass the psychological exam to be able to get into the Navy and not only get into the Navy, but to serve on a ballistic missile submarine, which is amazing that's, to me. That's a big deal. Again, yeah. I won't get won't break down a bunch of military stuff. A military family, actually, Navy military family mostly, and n- nuclear submarines are something that I'm a, vaguely familiar with. And I'll tell you right now, that is a huge deal to be any part of the submarine force, but let alone the ballistic missile submarines is a huge deal. So the fact that he got that far, honestly, I'm a little shocked that he was able to get into that position. But that almost leads me to wonder, and granted, I know some of the story is coming up, but that leads me to wonder if that's not part of that serial killer kind of mentality where I can say what I need to say in order to pass the exam. I'm very consciously making that decision. The psychopath that can kind of, yeah, charm his way into. Honestly, that comes up later in the story. I mean, I already saw something else we're going to talk about later. I'm like, that's a clear sign. There's a problem here. So, no, I would agree. That's likely how he got there. What I'm saying, though, is it's a very robust set of security systems and checks to get into, like I said, to get into any submarine. But to get onto the ballistic missile submarines is not they just don't you just don't just walk in and do that like it's a volunteer service plus you have to pass all the stuff it's pretty stringent and so for him to make it i yeah you don't accidentally do that so that's a pretty important thing i i i think sometimes people think oh you just sign up and you go to the navy and they just put you on a ship and in some cases that may or may not be true what i'm trying to say is when it comes to submarines that is a select service it is volunteer. You are not forced to go into those. They only want the best sailors doing the best things to do this work. And so that's what I'm trying to get at is this wasn't he just enlisted. He had to enlist and then go through training and then get high scores and go through interviews. And it's a whole process. Hey, Todd, did you know that Superman had a lot of superpowers? I mean, he had the ability. You know, he had like the X-ray vision. And he could stop a train and stop a bullet and all this other cool stuff. You know what else he had? He had super hearing and he had the ability to hear everything on earth, every conversation on earth, which is a little creepy, but I mean, that's, you know, from, that's from the comic books, had the, that ability to, but you know what else gives you super hearing, Tom? An echo Lippmann core stethoscope. Exactly. Cause it gives you that 40 time amplification, noise cancellation, it Bluetooth right to your phone. And I mean, you can have 
Superman type hearing. It is a game changing piece of equipment. I hope everybody listening gets one. Go to echohealth.com. It's ekohealth.com. Use code JSP. It gives you $50 off your order. Let's you know that we sent you. Hey, Tom, who makes some of the strongest CBD products on the market today? That would be CBD Stat. And whose products are completely THC free? I believe it'd be CBD Stat. And who makes a warming salve, a calming, cooling lotion, oils, and other salves? Mm, I'm going to say CBD Stat. And who loves their healthcare people? Definitely CBD Stat. That's right. CBD Stat is going to give you a 40% discount for being in healthcare. You go to cbdstat.care slash healthcare, fill out that form. They're going to give you a permanent 40% discount for anything you order from them. You're listening to our show. You're not in healthcare and you're like, well, I feel left out. Well, we don't want that to happen. You go to cbdstat.care. You put everything in your cart. And then when you're ready to check out, Tom, what code do they use? JSP20. Yeah, JSP20. It's going to give them 20% off their product just because you're listening to our voice right now. Go check them out. CBDstat.care. He did end up on that that ballistic missile submarine. He operated. He was on a team that operated the subs Poseidon missiles. He didn't get along with a lot of his superiors and kind of struggled really getting bullied from the people he was on that ship with. And his mental health starts to decline again and had this really awkward incident where one of his commanding officers discovered him sitting at the controls for the missiles wearing scrubs, gloves, and a surgical mask. And he wouldn't explain, couldn't or wouldn't explain what in the world he was doing or why he was dressed like that. And so they transferred him. They're like, you're out of here. We don't, we're not putting up with this crap. So they transferred him onto a supply ship and he spent most of his time there performing janitorial duties. And I think his, you know, they were like, you know, you were just under a lot of stress. Oh, we yeah. think you just do better over here, you know. Yeah, the military has this whole thing about if they tell you to do something or if the guy above you is a higher rank. There's not a lot of room where they tolerate people just not answering questions and doing stuff. So I'm not really shocked he's having a rough time with that. But like you said, he seems really intelligent. So I'm not also shocked he's squeaking by. Yeah, he he started drinking a lot and it was even reached a point where I've heard of this happening before with people who are struggling with alcohol abuse, but he would even drink Listerine if he didn't have the alcohol that he wanted. He just he tried to take his own life again when he was in the Navy by taking a like drinking a bottle of cleaner checked himself into the infirmary. This is sort of a pattern with him where he does something that could potentially take his life. And then he like dials 911 or he call, you know, he calls for help immediately. He was sent to the hospital and then to the psych ward for examination and then discharged from the Navy. Like you're out of here. Then he decided to go to nursing school in 1984. No stress there. He was the only male student. I know. This is a great idea. He was the only male student at the Mountainside Hospital School of Nursing, excelled in school, and was even nominated to be class president. And at this point, he's like, man, I have found my calling. This is where I'm supposed to be. 
He was super excited. And yeah, I think he was even voted least I mean, likely to be a serial killer. I mean, he was really popular. It was so ironic. Yeah, yes, I know. They very, very really ironic. missed the call on that one. Never did that yeah. again for their class yearbook. It's but really devastating. Here you see the charm again, though. He was not going to be class president because, you know, he's yep. charming and. Yeah. People must have liked him. I mean, the, we all know those stupid superlatives are nothing but a popularity contest anyway, right? No, I take them very serious. Obviously, a class <laughs> president should be up for actual president. That's how I feel about it. He's good enough to run my nursing school. He is good enough to write a budget for the United States. That's how I felt. Sure. Yes. No, absolutely not. Never once. So. Well, he ends up meeting a woman by the name of Adrian Baum, who was the manager at one of the jobs that he had gotten to kind of work his way through nursing school. The two of them worked together. She was a college gra- graduate working to pay off her student loans. They start dating. They eventually become in- engaged, get married. He graduates from nursing school. She starts working as a computer programmer. And he's super excited to, to be started. He started a new job on a burn unit at a hospital and was just really stoked to be able to, you know, he's starting his first job. That's always a huge, I don't know. I remember when I started my first job, it is, you just feel like, wow, this is so, I can't even believe this. Like I actually, this is actually happening. It's the weirdest feeling in the world. And you feel ready to tackle the whole world. Like I can do anything. I'm a nurse. (laughs) It is just bizarre, isn't it? And I, so I kind of can put myself there. You know, he's like, man, here I am working on a burn unit. He was really, really excited about it. And Adrian was happy for him, his wife. They bought a home. They struggled a little bit, but then, you know, were able to kind of work work through some of their difficulties. And they ended up having a child, a little girl. But the pressures of life start getting to Charles and he starts drinking again his co-workers are watching him and they see some kind of erratic behavior from him. They actually, at some point when they find out, you know, that he's a suspicion that he's been drinking, they're like, yeah, doesn't surprise me a bit. They were completely like totally hundred percent could see that. And they kind of felt like, you know, this is a really stressful job working with burn victims. I can imagine that I, my hat's off to those nurses that work in that setting. Can't even, uh, Yeah. Well, in 1991, a nurse found an IV bag that looked like the port had been used. But strangely, the bag was so full that it was leaking. So that prompted staff to have the bag tested. And it was found that the bag contained saline and heparin, which those of you who have ever hung a bag of heparin knows that's exactly what a bag of heparin <laughs> yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, not a surprise. Yeah. Not at all. The problem is that wasn't the only thing that was in the bag. It had insulin in it as well. And I, for one, in the seven years that I've been a nurse in all the different units I've worked in, including the ICUs, I have never in my entire career ever hung a bag of fluid that contained heparin and insulin in the same bag not once and honestly i just now realized all the times i was like why am i doing so many checks on insulin 
I'm starting to think it's this story now. You know, it literally took me 20 years to figure it out, but I guess I just put two and two together that maybe the reason I have to do 12 checks on insulin, but only one check on every other drug that will kill you is because this dude, which if nothing else made me not like him, it is now that because boy, checking everything on insulin 35 times before you administer it really sucks. But I can see as a floor nurse, you're going, well, maybe it was an accident. I mean, things happen. Oh, yeah, well, no, I'm just talking in a general sense. If you're talking about in this time at St. Barnabas at the burn, yes, I can absolutely see, hey, you know, what's going on. What I can't see, though, is what Miss Tina's. I can see some of the other stuff is what I'm getting at. What I can't see is accidentally insulin and heparin. That would be one I would not understand. I can understand the wrong fluids being hung or a couple other things, but insulin did not jump into the bag. So that would be a problem. I can see it being a mistake, but I would have trouble understanding if I was training a new nurse and she said or he said, yeah, I put insulin in this bag of heparin. I would have a lot of questions as to what process happened that allowed that, like why they thought that would be appropriate. Yeah, I think that maybe just because people tend to think that, you know, good of people, that it probably wouldn't be their first thought. And this was maybe one of the first times that something like this had happened. And now I think we, especially after my podcast has been around for a while. I was literally going to say, if they've ever heard of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, the podcast, they are, no, you absolutely question that person. They sneezed. You better question them. I heard Tina say sneezing Mm -hmm. was a sign of murder. So yeah, you know, all sorts of stuff. But I mean, at the time, I guess I could see them going, man, how in the world did this insulin get here? There, you know, could there have been a contaminated bag at the facility or, you know, like they could just see them like the last thing that they would think would that someone intentionally did this, which is a shame. We can't live in that beautiful, blissful, ignorant, you know, place where nobody does anything wrong and all nurses are wonderful, beautiful people would never intentionally harm someone. I would love to live in that world again. I was there at one point that I started this podcast and things went dark very quickly. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Three days after they discovered this contaminated bag, this patient, her name was Anna Byers, she was put on IV drip of heparin in preparation for heart surgery. And within an hour of starting that IV bag, she started to display some unusual symptoms. She was really disoriented, nauseous, sweating profusely. And nurses, you know, start looking into this and found that her insulin levels were abnormally high. So... Obviously, she has to be given dextrose to counter that, but the surgeon decided not to do the surgery because, well, that's scary. We can't go into surgery with a patient that's this unpredictable. So they take the heparin drip off, and all of a sudden, it was just curiously enough, she radically improves. Then later in the day, she's completely normal, as if nothing ever happened. They clear her for surgery once again, Again, she's prepped. Again, another drip of heparin is started. Insulin levels begin to spike again. So this is like the you know the first time I guess that an incident like this had happened with Charles Cullen, and I, nobody. Yeah, I guess they didn't really think to suspect him. But what 
ended up happening is another patient in a nearby room started having the same sort of problems. And I think what you two said earlier could explain why nothing happened with the first one. They didn't suspect it. That's not in his nature. He gets along with people. He's Mr. Popular. Or you could even blame the patient. Like, is there some, and I don't mean like literally blame the patient. I mean, like maybe there's some kind of metabolic syndrome we haven't identified that's causing this. You could make all sorts of excuses until Fred Belf. Yeah. Because then, yeah, they're not, the two patients are not connected in any way. This is way too coincidental. And so this patient just a few doors down starts having similar symptoms. So the nurses are like, wait, so the only common denominator between these two patients was the heparin drip. So something is definitely off. They send these bags off for testing and they both come back positive for insulin. They're inspected closely and near there were these nearly imperceptible puncture marks made by what you would assume would be a needle along the perimeter of the bag. And so they know now something very sinister was going on here. And this is not just an accident. This is not just a medication error. This is something bad is happening and intentionally being done. They start an investigation. Now, did they call the police? Did they bring in, you know, the FBI? No, 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 no. Hospital security, they are on it, okay? They are absolutely on it. And um, they interview the nurses. The nurses are trying to cooperate. They're trying to, you know, yeah, we kind of noticed there was this one nurse who was involved in all of these situations. He would not talk to security. And he's the only one of all the nurses who were kind of like on this unit. And so they're obviously looking a lot closer at him. And they start comparing everything mortality rates and that sort of thing. And they're like, you know what? Actually, when he started working here, mortality rates spiked pretty significantly. So the security of the hospital, they're just like, something is something intentional is going on here. And they really suspected that Charles Cullen had something to do with it. And they thought that he was like slipping into the particular supply closet. This is, I guess they're like, you know, here's a supply closet. It'll be the perfect place. Well, I'm assuming that's like where the heparin uh, drips were stored or something like, mm -hmm. like some kind of centralized spot that they would assume he would go to is what I was guessing from the way it read. Yeah. Or where the, where the needles were stored, who knows, but somehow they decided for some reason that this would be the place where he would feel most comfortable doing something like this. So they put a camera in that supply closet, but they were never able to actually catch him in the act. But two more patients were given IV drips with high levels of insulin, two more. So um, here they go again. They're trying to figure out what's going on. But then all of a sudden, Charles Cullen decides to be a no call, no show. And he just quits his job. So Insulin spikes stopped, everything goes back to normal, and the hospital just forgot all about it and decided, not my problem anymore. And sadly, this is as far as the initial investigation part, I can understand why law enforcement wasn't contacted because the negative media that would come on the hospital of, oh, hey, you have this nurse who's potentially doing bad things. 
sad as it is, I understand that. It's sad. And honestly, this is how they I would assume this is how they placated themselves. Well, we don't know and we couldn't prove it. So it's not really our place to make assumptions. Therefore, we don't need to do anything further. The spikes have stopped. No one's in danger. Ergo, there's not a problem. And unfortunately, all that's really doing is pushing the problem to somewhere else. That's what they effectively did. Yeah. Well, he was able to get another job at a different hospital in New Jersey. He even used his previous employer as a past, as a reference. They didn't make any effort to warn them about the suspected conduct. And I kind of get that, like, if nothing ever really came of it and they weren't able to prove it, wouldn't that, couldn't they get in trouble yes. legally? Yes. For, you know? Yeah. And this is where things can, murky water. But yes, if you don't have direct evidence or charges or some accountability for it, I would assume that employer is going to have some real harsh snapback if they say something to the new employer. And of course, they're like, well, hey, why are you leaving your old job? Why do you want to come here? He's just like, oh, it's a shorter commute. That makes perfect sense. That does make perfect sense. So they're like, okay. (laughs) That does make perfect sense. They're like, all right, great answer. Come on aboard. So they offered him the job. So he starts working day shift. He and his wife have another child, another daughter. That would not cause any further stress. Mm -mm. Nope. Not at all. Mm. That fixes things. As a matter of fact, yeah, I everything. hear if you're having problems in a relationship, if you just have a baby, everything gets better. Yeah, it just literally is just like everybody knows the that's best common knowledge. Band. Oh, absolutely. Screaming children that you don't have the resources <laughs> or time to take care of, put two of them mm-hmm. in the same room. Bam. Yes. Everything gets better. <laughs> Practically 100%. fixes itself. Well, they things really went south because he actually becomes physically abusive to his wife, Adrian. And so in November 1992, she filed for divorce and she's filing paperwork. She's really concerned because she's supposed to go in for surgery at the same hospital where Charles Cullen works, her husband, who she's wanting to file divorce papers against. And so she's thinking, if I file these divorce papers before my surgery, he's going to be angry at me and he's going to be working at the hospital. Now, she doesn't necessarily suspect or know to suspect maybe that he's you know murdering people, but she does believe that he would kill her. So she is afraid for her life, but she has no choice but to go ahead and serve the divorce papers. And he actually ends up getting served the day of her surgery. <laughs> So he storms into her room. Her father was there and would refuse to leave her side. So she protected him, protected her against him. But I would imagine that was probably an extremely stressful situation for her. And then they end up, after her surgery, coming to an agreement where he was allowed to stay in the house until he could have you know, get other living arrangements, which I always say here on Good Nurse, Bad Nurse is a bad idea. It's just asking for trouble. I mean, especially somebody that you are afraid of. Um, not a good idea. I, it's, he's the father of her children. And I understand, like, you just want to think the best of this person at some point. She loved him. It's I get it. She didn't want to just turn him out. Fair enough. But I just want to point out, though, that you two have said the same things. They keep coming up in this guy's life. 
nobody wants to think something bad about this guy. And then Ben will be like, yeah, because he keeps smoozing his way through. And I'm just like, from the outside, I'm starting to see this pattern. Like you guys, every time we talk about this guy, it's, oh, this is what's going on. But nobody wants to suspect him. And then Ben's like, yeah, he just, you know, sweet talks his way through it. It just keeps happening over and over with this guy. Yeah, she starts telling, she actually starts opening up to the police about some of his previous behavior. She tells him he has actually been investigated at some of his pat some of his past jobs. So she sort of hints to the police, like, you know, they're kind of looking at him and some of his, he was accused of some pretty bad things at some of his other jobs. And she said that he abused their family pets, their dogs, which, you know, I don't know, some of my listeners, they don't like to hear the details of I don't I, I understand I have family pets myself. It's hard to hear. In defense of the people receiving these complaints, one thing I would point out is literally she just got paperwork saying she was getting divorced. It is not unheard of in both healthcare or law enforcement circles for the significant other in a new divorce to make up things to get a person in trouble. And so, again, I'm not trying to say, obviously, in hindsight, everything she said was 100 percent true. I would say, though, this is another one of those situations where this time, Miss Tina, instead of them doubting it because they wouldn't believe the best, they're doubting it because, well, of course, they're mad at each other. So he's going to say something about her. She's going to say something about him. We can all move on with our day. So this guy keeps being at the right place at the right time is what it seems like. He just keeps squeaking by. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the you know, the police could have gone to some of his previous employers and they because they don't have a dog in the hunt, no, you know, no, like 100%. 100%. I'm just saying I'm the guy talking to you. You are just now divorcing Ben and you tell me that Ben is a terrible guy. I'm not really going to be shocked. Okay? You're going to have to give me some information I'm not expecting to really trip that trigger. I know that sounds terrible, and in hindsight, it is. But, again, going back to what is the most most likely thing, they probably are like, well, of course she's mad, just like you said before. Well, nobody wants to think he's killing people. So, yeah, I can see how the chameleon is coming out in all this. Yeah, I think, you know, I've done a lot of stories on this podcast over the past years of women telling the court that their spouse or their boyfriend or whatever was going to kill them. And they're like, he's going to kill me. He's already said he's going to kill me. And the court just went, yeah, y'all just don't get along. That's just how it is. And then guess what? He killed her. I mean, I've done them. So I've done so many of the stories. I'm just so sick of them. I'm absolutely sick of them. <laughs> it's just, it's I literally just not that long ago did the, just absolute heinous, horrendous story uh, where I just basically uh, live on Facebook doing that. And it's just, it's sad. And that, that, you know, a woman just has no re recourse because you try to say, he's going to kill me. I'm telling you, he's going to kill me. I'm telling you, he has threatened me. Feels like it's like week in, week out. This is, this is the story. It's way too common, but the courts just seem to be, and police, you know, investigators, they do. They seem to just be like, you know, ah, you guys just aren't getting along. Ah, you know, we know how it is. You're just probably saying that because you want to get the house, you know. Or Sadly, especially at the time this is going on, like, what is this time period again? Aren't we like early 80s, late 70s we're talking about right here? Now we're in the early 90s. Okay. Well, okay. So even early 90s, though, I can't 
I wasn't a cop in the early 90s, but I was alive in the early 90s and culture was pretty much still the woman should be at home taking care of stuff. Now, it was definitely starting to break out at that point, it feels like. But that was still a very prevalent societal thing, like the woman should be at home dropping the kids off at school and the husband should be at work. And well, if he says this, then that's probably how things are. And unfortunately, that's all true. That's how things felt then. So if she said, well, I'm scared, they probably did. There probably was a small, at least small portion of their brain going, oh, she's trying to get the house or she's trying to set them up. And, and unfortunately, that's probably correct. Yeah. And I mean, he's really, he is definitely spiraling downward during this whole thing. He once again tries to take his life by swallowing a bottle of pills, ends up in the hospital at once again in, in a psychiatric facility, also ends up going back to work and starts dating, which he quickly becomes this stalker person with the person that he's dating. He's he's almost immediately just like imprinted on this person, like, oh, you're my soulmate. And this other person is like, it's like, you know, Pepe Le Pew and the cat, you know, that he thinks is a skunk. The person is like, whoa, that is way too much. He starts sending gifts and like going to her house and making phone calls like, hey, it's me again. It was just a bad, bad, bad situation. This whole thing. He ends up like getting a stalking charge, having to like he gets arrested and gets five years probation because of it. That's a significant case of stalking. I would say even by today's standard to get that many years, that's a pretty significant case. Yeah. And he represented himself in that case, which obviously is a bad idea. He also represented himself in his divorce proceedings. He didn't get the children. Adrian got the full custody of the children. I know. Not a big surprise there. And... Then, you know, there are other patients at the hospitals where he's working who these mysterious things start happening or they're continuing to happen. There was a woman by the name of Helen Dean at Warren Hospital, which where he was working at the time, who was recovering and doing quite well. She had breast cancer and had surgery, was going to be discharged in less than 24 hours, and he was her nurse There are some different accounts of exactly what happened, but basically her son, in retrospect, her son says that his mother said he injected something in, you know, gave me some sort of a shot with a suspicious looking syringe. And so they kind of chalk that up to her being kind of confused in the hospital and they didn't really pursue it. But then once... She actually died, and it was completely unexpected, and they were really surprised. Then they looked back and were like, oh, she was saying that someone injected her with something. You know, they start thinking. And turns out she had been given digoxin, apparently. Yeah, when a person starts saying, hey, I think someone's trying to kill me, and then they die, people tend to start going, maybe something bad happened. So, yeah, I'm glad they finally started to listen to her after, but... As you just said earlier, it's not also uncommon. So I don't want people to just hear, well, she said this guy injected her with a needle. 
people getting confused and lots of medications being given, especially when you're healing from a surgery. I mean, we can be in and out of your room a dozen times. So part of me can also, again, for once understand, but hopefully people are going to start picking up that things are going to start getting a little tougher on Mr. Colin here shortly. Well, yeah, because in this particular case, it, they're just the process, the investigators just and prosecutors felt like they just didn't have enough evidence, even though they suspected, especially given, you know, what the son was saying that she said, and it, it, she was getting ready to be discharged. But they didn't have enough evidence. They actually tried to, they tested her for like 100 different chemicals, but digoxin wasn't one of them, because it's not something you have to kind of know what you're looking for. Jackson so they didn't really have a reason. Is very specific. Yeah. So they didn't take any legal action against him. And then obviously he decides not to go back to work at that hospital since all that went down. But he got another job at another hospital. Again, nobody bothered to try to prevent him from getting a job. Nobody reports him to the board. Nothing. It's just like he moves right along and gets another job as a nurse working at the bedside, taking care of vulnerable people. He's continuing to date people at his job. And when something goes awry and it doesn't work out, he just goes off the deep end and, you know, attempts to take his life and that, that sort of thing. And more kind of suspicious things happen where he's working. So between January and September, 1996, Apparently, he was responsible for murdering five patients with an overdose of digoxin. And, you know, they're noticing his the people that, that he work, works for, they notice the patterns and they threaten him with termination and he just resigns. They're like, hey, we're going to fire you if you don't quit. So then he, he quits. Not send you to jail. Right. Just leave and everything is OK. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. He ends up getting another job where he gets fired once again. And this continues to happen. Hospital after hospital, he ends up getting a job at a nursing home. Same thing. Oh, you medication errors and giving drugs at the wrong time and all sorts of things. Like one incident in particular at a nursing home where he was working he actually went into a patient's room, was trying to give them something with a syringe, and the patient starts fighting back. He was That patient ended up with a broken arm, and Charles Cullen was caught having multiple syringes on him, and they still did nothing. I mean, they did not contact the authorities. He was terminated from the position, and that was it. And it's sad to think how many times you've already pointed out something could have been said or done. And hasn't like a, at least so we can count at least five people that should not be dead that are simply because a hospital never said to the next employer, hey, we had problems with this guy or cooperated with authorities or did anything and getting caught with multiple needles and the guy is fighting you because he said, hey, this guy's trying to inject me with something. Nobody even I'm starting to become I try and play devil's advocate a lot, you know, but. It's getting awfully hard. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that there, there is one huge action that is eventually taken by St. Luke's that sends the this whole thing into a completely other direction. And that coupled with 
one nurse that was a coworker of Charles Cullen actually is what ultimately led to his downfall. And it is unbelievable. And it's really the plot really for the movie, the Netflix movie. So I think this is probably a really good place for us to kind of stop and watch the movie on October 26th. And then when we come back after the movie, we can kind of talk about basically the movie and we can talk about the investigation, where how it, you know, led and how this nurse who is our good nurse. So this you guys may have noticed, we don't necessarily have a good nurse portion, but this is a little bit special kind of a different episode. There is a good nurse in this story. And she's lurking in the shadows back there. And she's gonna she is gonna bring down Charles Cullen. And you're not gonna believe the story. It is so amazing. And I'm so proud of her. And when we come back on part two, we're gonna get into that. But I just want to thank you guys for coming onto the show to record this with me. I'm excited to get into the next I'm excited to get to watch the movie with you. And I'm excited to get to to finish out the story. Yeah, I'm a big movie guy. So yeah, I'm totally excited. And it's a great story. Great actors. It's going to be it's going to be very fun. I'm going to really enjoy doing this. So Ben, probably not. Ben's just boring, but I am full of fun. So that's why. Yeah, that's why he's quiet all the time. So he's boring. So I'm quiet. He, if he's not processing and I'm preparing <laughs> a Tom rant. For the next episode, because there's so many things in here that just frustrate me to no end. Well, if he's not down inseminating penguins somewhere or something like that, he's just boring. So that's the problem with Ben, really. You guys, on part two, you need to come back and listen to Ben rip into Tom. (laughs) Oh, you should listen to Ben in about six minutes rip into Tom, because that's going to happen when I get a phone call. So Just keep this recording. Yeah, yeah, it'll be be pretty cool, yeah. You're going to have to bleep a lot, but, you know, other than that, it'll be pretty fun. Well... You guys, again, cannot wait for the movie. Definitely join us. Come and follow us on Instagram. You can follow me at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse Instagram. You can follow me on, I think, feel like Instagram is like the best place. For some reason, it's easier for me to connect with people on Instagram than it is for me on TikTok and Facebook. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, you can also email me at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. If you're interested and you need more information about how to watch the movie with us, movie night, October the 26th. In the meantime, you can find Ben and Tom at Will Continue to Monitor. And Ben loves, Ben's got this amazing spiel. Yes, he's fantastic. Tell everybody, Ben, how can they find your podcast? Well, you can find us. We're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on TikTok, as far as the Will Continue to Monitor brand. And our website's www.justsompodcast.com and our email is jsp at justsompodcast.com so reach out to us and say hello absolutely and you guys know that you can find me at goodnursebadnurse.com and follow me on social media at goodnursebadnurse and send me an email at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com I would love to hear from you and of course I want to remind you even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy be a good nurse Swearing just to pass the time Lately I see why I am alone I caught some road bridge and I thought of you And all the many times